What is up, Brick Stackers? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Stacking the Bricks. As always, I'm your host, Alex Holman, and this is another edition of the Tiny MBA Podcast Tour. Over the last few weeks, I've been visiting with podcasts all across the internet, talking with entrepreneurs and creative people just like you. Well, not necessarily just like you, because you might have noticed that these last few conversations have been visits to shows hosted by dudes. All dudes! Thankfully, I was able to end this white male podcast host streak by visiting with Colleen Schnettler and Michelle Hansen on the Software Social Podcast. Among a sea of white dudes talking about how awesome they are, Michelle and Colleen's show stands out as something special and needed. It feels a lot less like an interview show and more like two smart professional friends offering weekly stories and support about what's going on in their respective businesses. I love shows like this. They feel more human and the conversation feels more like talking with the audience rather than at them. So if you're into business and software and like me, want to hear more diverse voices about the things that we're interested in, I highly recommend checking out their podcast backlog after you're done tuning into this one. You can do that by heading over to softwaresocial.dev. So let's talk about this episode. Colleen and Michelle have recently read my new book, The Tiny MBA, and true to form, we had a great time going deeper into their favorite lessons from the book to help you get an even better understanding of how these lessons might be valuable to you. And I found it especially interesting how Michelle and Colleen both took valuable lessons from the book, even though they are at very different stages of their respective businesses. So in this episode, we talk about why education is the most effective marketing that you can create, how psychology could be thought of as debugging for people, and why one question in the tiny MBA left Colleen feeling terrified. But don't worry, by the time we were done talking, she wasn't feeling terrified anymore. So with that, let's get into this, and maybe my favorite episode of the tiny MBA podcast tour to date, an in-depth conversation with Michelle and Colleen on the Software Social Podcast. Here we go. Yeah, so let's dive in. So Alex, you talk a lot about psychology in the book. One of the quotes is the most valuable books aren't business books, they're books about human psychology. So, you know, my background is engineering and development. And I know a lot of your audience, I believe, is as well. And I, I was just like, man, now I got to learn about humans. That sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, like, why, why does that seem hard to you? Because I, I hear that and I, I feel that. And look, people are freaking weird so i get it but like from your perspective i love how weird they are i I do too i do too but like (laughs) but colleen from from you like when you say like what's how does that read for you like what 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 actually makes it feel hard to you well i already feel like i'm better with humans than most developers (laughs) but still like they're just humans are tough i mean they're just irrational and you know they don't make logical decisions and so trying to get in someone's head and find out like like what i took away from the book is i really need to figure out how i'm providing value to my customers and you know you really just want to make them happy which is something i've talked about with michelle before too like you you want them to feel like they're winning but man i just i just really struggle with like understanding human psychology when you get people who really aren't logical thinkers yeah yeah. Well, I think there, to your point, there's there's the rational behavior and the irrational behavior and which one someone's going to be deploying at any given moment is, is not always consistent. One of my favorite ways to think about psychology is 
because I come from a software development background as well. I didn't explain, I kind of said that in the book, I guess. But one of the reasons I find psychology fascinating is it's kind of like having a debugger for people. Because people break in wildly unpredictable ways, but they do it at wildly predictable times, or sometimes it's the other way around. So, you know, for for me, programming kind of clicked when I realized, oh, this is about patterns, right? Patterns and mm-hmm. and systems. And if you start thinking about people as patterns and systems, also, I don't. I mean, I think you can get pretty far into the weeds of, with psychology and things that are useful, but maybe not instantly deployable. If you really just think about what are people's behaviors as patterns, like it's not just what do they do and it's, it's also why do they do it? And then is there any consistency to why they do things or is there inconsistency consistency? And if there's inconsistency, is there consistency within the consistency? So you can start to see how, when you sort of pull apart the layers, it really does start feeling debugging a person and, you know, I think one of the, the other pieces is sometimes you're debugging yourself. It's like, am I making a decision or not doing a thing because of my own psychology? I think that in some cases is even harder. However, I also think, you know, one of my favorite books, and it's recommended in in the Tiny MBA, is a book called Just Listen by an author uh, named Mark Goulston. And Mark is a clinical psychologist, but the reason he's famous for uh, famous enough to write a book that I would be recommending in a business book is he's a, a lead hostage negotiator trainer for the FBI. And in the book, he talks about sort of the neuroscience of why we why it's hard to listen and why it's hard to get other people to listen to us in a really, really systematic way. And he teaches you some really specific techniques for, and he uses he teaches these techniques to hostage negotiators. And he also uses them in his private practice with, you know, husbands and partners and wives and families who aren't talking to each other. It's all the same basics, you know, brain science. But he does this, this interesting thing where, you know, it's not a good idea to teach somebody a psychology tool and then have them go use it on their friends and family. (laughs) (laughs) Bad things are more likely to happen. But instead, he teaches you how to use these tools on yourself. And by practicing them on yourself, you start recognizing your own internal voice, your own internal conflict when you're not listening to yourself. And you get to sort of practice the techniques in the book on yourself before you ever take it to your partner or your kid or your teammates or uh, a client, whatever it is. So it's it's really, really – he really treats it like debugging. He, he frames the process – it's a 10-step process called from oh fuck to okay. And step <laughs> one, before you do anything with the other person, is figuring out where on that process of conflict they are. And you can't get somebody from oh fuck to okay. If oh fuck is a 10, you've got to get them to a 9, then from a 9 to an 8, and 8 to a 7. And if you don't sort of go through those stages, it becomes difficult, if it's possible at all, to get somebody to do a thing and he's all like you can't get somebody to do a thing they don't want to do you have to figure out what they do want to do and align your interests with theirs and that's where i think things come back to business you can't make somebody buy something they don't want to buy what you can do is figure out what somebody's interests are what they care about how they think about it how they communicate it earn their trust and prove to them that you're aligned 
And then you're not convincing them to buy anything. You're showing them that, that you are going to help them do a thing that they already want to do. And these are the steps to do it. I'm totally going to have to read that book. Now. I was just thinking that I'm definitely reading that book. <laughs> you know, so when I was reading the book, I also highlighted that quote, Colleen. But when I when I saw that there was a reference for, for a book in, in, in it, my first thought was, oh, I wonder if this is going to be thinking fast and slow which is one of my favorite books about irrational thinking and understanding when people are making these sort of rational, irrational decisions, how contextual those are and, and, and the psychology of it. And so I actually I like flipped to the to the to the end of it being like, oh, this is like totally thinking fast and slow. And it wasn't. And I was very surprised. Um, and now I'm delighted and definitely going to go check out that book. I'm curious, Alex, if, if you've read that. I have. Thinking Fast and Slow is an absolute favorite. I, I was kind of intentional about picking my book recommendations to to try and give folks stuff that they might not come across in another another setting. I think, think thinking fast and slow is a common recommendation among business books, even though it is absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, just listen. I don't think it's positioned as a business book at all. But my, actually, my favorite interaction, I, I, re I recommended it to my brother-in-law who's in – he's in advertising sales. So like maybe and, – and he would be okay with me saying this – maybe some of the slimiest sales that exists on, on the planet. And But he's, he's an honest guy and he's really good at his job and he loved the way this book broke down – the psychology of what he experiences in, in building sales relationships. So I think it's, it's a uncommon business book, but I think it's useful to, to lots of different kinds of business people. Yeah. And, and so speaking of, of sales and, and, and marketing, one of the quotes that I find myself uh, thinking about is if done well, teaching and marketing can be nearly indistinguishable from one another. What what does that show up for for you? Like you said, it resonates with you, and you think about that. Is that how you approach your marketing, or or what what about that quote landed for you? I think there's a lot of truth in it. And you know, earlier this week, I came across a tool for the first time called Bubble, which Colleen might be familiar with since it's a no code tool. And what was so impressive about it was, you know, I went to their site, bubble.io, and a lot of their marketing is like tutorials on how to create other sites. So it's like how to create Uber with with Bubble and no code or how to create Netflix or how to create like Hulu, like all of these like different things that didn't even think would be possible. It's just a tutorial guide on how to do it. And it was so cool because I came to that site for the first time and I was like, what is this? Like, what can I even do with it? And then it's like, okay, this seems really powerful, but it's kind of intimidating. And then getting to that point with all of those different use case tutorials, I was like, wow, this is like super cool. Like I could do this if I wanted to. And it really was education as marketing and, and, you know, meeting someone, someone where they are and, and, in, and marketing not having to be this, you know, slimy thing that like some people have to engage in, but it really just being genuine education about a tool helping you do something you already want to do, but do it better. Yeah. That's such a really great example for a couple of reasons. The the first thing that stands out to me is, you know, anytime I'm, I buy something new or, or a, like a new piece of software, a new piece of technology, a new, really anything, or if I'm trying to do like home repair, the, like I almost don't, never go to Google anymore. I go to YouTube. Because YouTube is like the biggest searchable compendium of how to do 
literally anything. Like I needed to figure, I need to diagnose a problem with my dryer, right? I was able to find a video, not of how to fix it, how to figure out what was broken. I was able to learn that in like seven minutes on YouTube. And, you know, that was a, a DIY person doing it. But if you think about that is a really common pattern pattern for a lot of people is to look up how to do a thing. And if I'm looking up how to do a thing, I'm not necessarily looking for a product. But if I learn a thing, if I, if I have a problem and you teach me how to do it, the next time I have a problem even kind of like it, guess who I'm going to think of? You. Because you helped me last time. I built a deck this summer well, during quarantine. I've never built a deck before. I'm, I'm not as handy as I might be making myself sound. And the the... Before we built the deck, I was doing some research on YouTube, you know, techniques, process, materials. And I watched somebody who, there's no way that person was smarter than me, build a deck in a very similar scenario with like uneven ground. And here's the thing, the, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's also had videos about how to build a deck. And I watched these very polished, professionally shot videos show me how to build a deck in perfect conditions with all the right tools and everything comes out perfectly. And I watch them and I go, no way. I just don't think it's going to work that way. And, and like, and so I went looking for others. And meanwhile, I find another video from a person who runs into problems, solves those problems. I get to kind of watch them go through it. I trust that video more. And if that guy was selling a guide or had referral links to products, I would click those links because he earned my trust. So when I think about what is the job of marketing, why do we do marketing? I think there's two two reasons. One is to get the word out about our thing, right? That is the, the sort of the top level, the top line goal. But once somebody's heard about your thing, is that enough? Uh, not to make a sale, uh, even if they really want the thing. People are looking at their money. They're looking at their bank account. They're looking at the thing going, how badly do I want it? Do I want to spend that money? Do I, is this really going to do the job? But if you've earned their trust with a tutorial video that makes them believe, oh, I've now seen it done by someone who's not any smarter than me. If they can do it, I can do it. If you've got somebody in the mindset of if they can do it, I can do it, and their wallet is anywhere nearby, you are so much closer to a sale than if they simply knew you existed. So... But the last piece about that is, you know, we're sitting here talking about it, right? And so when somebody learns something and they get a win, they trust you, they feel good about themselves, and they're going to talk about that experience. And that's that elusive word of mouth marketing that people want. How do you generate that? You get people to talk about their wins, not your product. And that's kind of counterintuitive to figure out, like, how do you engineer that? There's no shortcut to earning trust and making that happen. But the closest thing to a predictable path to make it even possible, I think, is is teaching people something that they already want to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Still talking about people. I feel like we're doing a lot of talking about people, which is an interesting, you know, outcome of this book. So you have this question about money psychology. And I know we already talked a little bit about human psychology, but you said, if I give you this assignment to make $5,000 in the next seven days, how would that make you feel? And so I read that and I thought, how is that supposed to make me feel? Well, uh, I think, terrified. It makes yeah, me feel terrified. Okay, Alex. Good, good. I think that's, that's, I mean, the goal of the question is not to make you feel terrified. The goal okay. of the question is to make you aware of how you feel. 
however that okay. is. Right. So right. somebody read the tiny MBA and said, you know, this was really great, but I have a, have a question. I paused for quite a while on page 12 where you said money psychology impacts that. How, how does that make you feel? And they said, it would terrify me, literally using the exact same word you did. Do you have any advice for uh, how to go about learning about my money psychology? So that's the reason for that question is not to teach you a thing. It's for you to identify what your money psychology might be and interrogate that and go, well, why does that scare me? Is that is that a rational feeling? Is that an irrational feeling? Is that something that that fear is keeping me from doing something that maybe could help me make those $5,000, whatever it is. So I gave him the following assignment. I said, you know, try to spend some time just you with a journal or whatever it is and answer these questions. The first one was, what exactly are you terrified of? Is there something that happened in the past that would make you feel that way? The second question is, what's the worst case scenario if you tried? The third question is, what are the facts about your situation? What resources do you have that you might not be thinking of in that moment of terror, but that if you step back and go, I actually have these resources, I have knowledge, I have the email list, I have professional relationships, I have the ability to create things. You know, what resources do you have that could be useful in reaching that goal? And the fourth question was, what resources could you create now so that next time you get this challenge it's less terrifying. And there's no right answers to any of those. It's, it's more of a, a, a self-evaluation exercise. So, you know, I'm curious if there's, as I was asking those questions, are there any, any of them that made you, made your brain go to a place or, you know, now that I've kind of explained the goal of sort of interrogating that terror, do you have an idea of why that's terrifying for you? My initial instinct is like, okay, like I actually thought about it. I was like, okay, based on my hourly rate, if I work this many hours, like I could do that. But that sounds miserable, right? Because I would just be working, working, working. And so it kind of made me try to like reframe it into wait, I should try this and I should not, you know, work my consulting hours. I should do something else. And I think one of the cons, I guess, there's a lot of pros to starting a little bit later in that, like you already have an established network and you already, you know, have established skill sets. But like one of the cons is there's a huge opportunity cost for me to take a week off. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a, a consistent challenge for me. And you talk about this in the book about being comfortable. You get really comfortable, even though you know you want something else, like you know you want to diversify your income streams and you know you want to have a different maybe life experience in your business. Like man, when you're working as a developer, it's comfortable. Yeah. And so that is always, that's challenging for me. That's kind of this time I'm, I'm not going to fall back into that comfort, but I've kind of been on this journey for many years and I keep just kind of falling back when it gets hard or when it gets scary. I mean, sure. I think scary is a good word, which I haven't thought of before this conversation. And I want to sort of pick apart one other thing there. I think your point about, you know, the opportunity cost of taking that week off is, is real and calculatable, right? So I look at a problem like that in a couple of different ways. One of them is, all right, what if I don't need to do a week in order to get started, right? What could I do in a day? Or maybe I can't do the whole thing in a day, but if I were to take four Fridays in a row, if not Friday, whatever day it is, and if I, now I've got time box, like what could I do over those four Fridays so that and that's where sort of like that fourth question is, is what could you do now 
with that week so that the next time it's a little bit easier, right? That's where the, the, the business that, that Amy and I run is called Stacking the Bricks. And that's kind of the metaphor is like, if you don't have an advantage now, what can you do now to build the advantage for the next time through? Because your your point about comfort, I think, is is a real one, especially when it comes to these kinds of business income streams that are not trading your time for money. Time for money is super powerful because to your point, it's easy when you're doing it. But the trade-off is as soon as you stop working, there's nothing happening. You are not building any sort of asset. You can't resell the time. Where things I think get kind of interesting is is where you like starting to look within your work. Obviously, you can't sell work that you've done for clients, but are there things that you're learning on the job that is sellable? So like I think people with software skills think that in order to start a business, I need to sell software. You can if you want, but that is one format, one mode and starting software and having $5,000 worth of sales at the end of the week is, it's not a hill to climb. That's a vertical line. It's, it's near, it's, I don't say it's impossible because some folks have certainly done those sorts of things, you know, a, t- a tiny app or something like that. But if you're starting from scratch to use those constraints and say, if I've only got eight hours a every Friday for the next four weeks, what could I be doing over those over those times to, to build advantages that I don't have yet? So could that be trying your hand at scoping like a really small workshop to teach some skill? And that could be a technical skill. It could be if you are, are, are if you're a freelancer, that could be a business skill to teach other programmers some you know client related thing. If you are in a job, it could be you know a team related thing. So like I think it's widening the scope of what it could be and narrowing the scope of how big it needs to be in order to be a thing starts to allow things to take a little bit of a different shape and and sets up an opportunity to build with build what you can with the time that you have uh, rather than building the idea in your head with the time that you have which is like that's a, a road that stretches off into infinity a lot of times for a lot of people and it's where it's easy to get discouraged and feel like this is hard consulting work or a job is easy why am i doing the hard thing again I'll say one last thing on that is everything comes in difficulty modes as well. And so I think like building, choosing to build software as your first product is on hard mode. It's like, you know, the analogy I use this in one of the lessons in the book is like you play a video game on hard mode. It is way harder to beat. You can beat it and the game's going to award you extra points for it. But when it comes to business, if you make a choice that has you playing on hard mode instead of easy mode, the, the trade-off becomes, you know, is the game going to give you more points, whether it's, you know, internet points or real money? No, it's not. The game doesn't care how hard you're working. It's how well are you serving them. So I think choosing a difficulty setting when it feels hard, I think that's a real feeling and it is a real reality. Is there an easier version? And and I guess believing yourself that an easier version is not a lesser version. It might just be the best version that you can do now to set yourself up for the advantage you need to do the slightly harder version in your your next pass through. That's great advice. Thank you. So Alex, I feel like my main takeaway of the book, if I had to distill it down into one, was it's really not that hard if you just get out of your own way. I'm glad that that's the takeaway for you. There's, I think a large portion of difficulty and failure are our own doing. And sometimes that's just because we don't know better. And sometimes because it's variations of pride and perfectionism and self-sabotage. And 
I think the mistake is to feel guilty about it. The professional move is to acknowledge it and try something new, even if it is a little terrifying and uncomfortable. I think you, to your point before, Colleen, about being a professional who's been doing what you're doing for a while and you're good at what you do, to trust yourself enough to do a thing that, you know, you're good at what you do. You're used to feeling good at what you do. To trust yourself enough to do a thing that doesn't feel good instantly, I think is a gift we can give ourselves that maybe we don't give ourselves often enough. And this happens to be a gift that quite literally pays. So it's a good one. <laughs> but no, I'm really happy that that's your takeaway. That's there's a, and, I, and I would be super interested to hear what if like if that takeaway changes or what that takeaway looks like in six months or a year, you come back for a skim through when the product is out, you've got some customers, you're working on the next like whatever, wherever you are in six or 12 months, how does the book look differently then? I mentioned before, I like email. I would love for you to email me. Yeah. And tell me, tell me what that looks like. I will. Cool. Yeah. I think, I mean, talking about how, how it resonates with us is, it, it's something about the book, right? It's very small pieces of, of wisdom. And I found, you know, I, I sort of whipped through it on a lunch break and, and then it was a week later, I was, I was thinking about that marketing quote, or I was thinking about the ones uh, about psychology. And, and I think that's something that's really, really interesting about about the book and about the short format is that you're, you're not taking two to 300 pages to make a point, you're, you're giving yourself one page for, for each point. And it's interesting to see what sticks out with individual people at, at different points. Yeah. And I, you know, I think your point about, you know, something kind of worms its way into your brain. And you know, shows up again later, you know, that, you, you read 400 pages of a book and the, then you hope that that lesson is useful now or that you remember it in the future when it will be. But the ability for, and I feel like, I feel like I kind of get a chance to plant some seeds. And even if you don't know exactly what it means yet or how you're, how you're going to use it or, or, or even how you feel about it, it's like, it's in there. And it'll show up at some point and you're going to be like, where's that damn book? I got to What was he talking about again? And so like, I don't know, that's for me, that's really exciting to hear. So I love hearing that that's, you know, a few days after you read it, that there's, you know, something kind of, you know, still resonating in your brain or a question that you're still asking yourself. To me, that's that's yet another version of the book doing its job. So that's super cool to hear. Thank you. This has been really fun talking to you about it and. I, I really enjoyed reading the book. I, I love how you're trying to make business education accessible for, for more people. I think that's one thing about an MBA is that it is not accessible to everyone, but there there's value in in systems level thinking and challenging your own thinking. And I really like how you are approaching that, even in a tiny way in this case. Brilliantly said. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, and one one of my hopes for folks to, you know, to read through this, even people who are brand spanking new, right? So there's a bunch of folks that I got a message from somebody who they said, I just started my LLC yesterday and I'm signing my first freelance client tomorrow. I did not expect this book to be useful to me today. And it was so useful. And so, you know, that's just like, a, you know, we've got... It was amazing. And I was like, that's the coolest. And for somebody to read it and, and feel like, a sense of confidence going into their first client project. I'm like that, like that confidence is so much more valuable than a lesson I can teach you because 
you'll build on it and you'll you'll make mistakes anyway because that's unavoidable. But when you make a mistake, you'll be like, oh, that's what Alex was talking about. Instead of thinking that you are an idiot or something is wrong with you, you'll be like, oh, that's the thing that happens when you do this other thing because it is – This all- is something that every business owner experiences. And it's, and it's all – And you are not wrong for experiencing exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, Michelle, it's all systems, right? Businesses are systems. Not magical boxes where you put in effort and money comes out. Some, I think some people are just like, you know, confused about what that is and just show, get people an idea of like, oh, there are systems here that are, I'm a normal person and I can understand them. I can practice them and I can get good at them. This book isn't going to teach you all the things, but it gives you sort of those those shapes for you to grab onto and go, okay, now I know what this is. I'm going to go find an expert in that thing, right? And go deep on that and, you know, find your areas of expertise where you need to grow and find that expert on the internet. Go search YouTube for the how-to video. Find the podcaster or the writer or the other independent author and, and fill in those gaps. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been a blast. And I've super enjoyed talking with the two of you as well. This is, you know, the the different places that each of you are in your businesses. It's, like I said, it's been fun to hear that myself but it, it hasn't all been in one conversation so it's kind of neat to have it all packaged up and i, I hope that's useful for people to hear and uh, yeah thanks for you know thank you for taking the time to read it i'm glad it was helpful and thank you for inviting me into your coffee chat show i feel feel very honored to be here great thank you so much alex we loved having you you can find us on twitter at software pod and we'd love to hear your feedback and comments on this week's episode If you enjoyed that episode, and I hope you did, I've got a couple of quick things before you go. The first, of course, is making sure that you have your very own copy of The Tiny MBA. If you haven't ordered it, I'd love it if you did, and you can grab a paperback or ebook at tiny.mba. I also hope you're subscribed to this show. We're going to be releasing more episodes like this one with other creators and entrepreneurs just like you, and I'm going to be talking with them about their favorite lessons in the Tiny MBA, learning what's going on in their world, and sharing it all with you. So you can search for that by looking for Stacking the Bricks wherever you get podcasts. And one last thing, check out the Stacking the Bricks website. We've got a great newsletter with new articles coming out every week or two, following on a lot of the same topics and themes that we talk about right here on the show. You can do that by going to stackingthebricks.com. I hope you have a great rest of your day and don't forget to keep on stacking those bricks.